you pray with me? Father, we thank you that um, we have this time together. We thank you that uh, you are present here with us. And uh, you, your word says you inhabit the praises of your people. Um, and so we trust and believe that as we've worshipped you and are worshipping you now, that you are here. We ask that you would change us. Open our eyes to what you have to say in your word. Um, Lord, even in mid-sentence, Lord, correct me if I'm off on saying something. Uh, this is not about me. Um, this is not about uh, an agenda. We want to worship you, please you, and we want to be changed by your word. So we ask that you would do that for us this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, Got to kind of get cooking here. As, as my mom says, gotta, we got to cook with grease, you know. Um, things lying in the pan and you want to get it going, throw some grease in there. So I want to, we kind of briefly move through a few scripture verses. Um, and coincidentally, um, I had a Facebook debate this week that kind of ties into this. Now, I hate doing that. You know, when someone posts something and people jump in there and hijack the thread Someone posts something and someone jumps, oh, I, that's not what I think. And then a huge argument breaks out and people get nasty. And then people start thinking, I hate Facebook. You know? um, I, I couldn't resist this. Um, an old friend from New Jersey, an old classmate from high school, posted something like, I'm always amazed how many people truly follow Christ and have nothing to do with any churches. In other words, they don't go to church, they don't belong to a church, they don't need church, they're just out there on their own, but they, tr they follow Christ. You know, and I, I just, the red flags went up, and I'm like, ah. And then I looked at some of the responses. Amen, sister. Churches are secondary, word of God first. And I'm like, and then when you read the word of God, what does it say, you know? Um, are churches optional? Is church necessary? Is church like a help if you need it, like a crutch, but really you could just be on your own? I responded with two points, and those two points happen to be this sermon and next week's sermon. The first one is the Bible makes it really clear that you need a place to exercise your spiritual gift. We've got Paul ties spiritual gifts to the one another's that happen within a local body. So when the Bible talks about a body that is Christ and he's the head and you're an arm or you're a foot or you're a leg, he doesn't mean like the church here and the church in Russia and the church in South America and all the churches together. No. Why? Because if my spiritual gift is encouragement, I can't encourage a brother in South America. I encourage the person that I sit together with. When Hebrew says, don't give up meeting together and encouraging one another, spurring one another on in the faith, Right. I can't do that with, with a Christian in, you know, Africa. I do that with the Christians that I meet with, that I belong to in a body with together, and those are the people I serve with my gift. The second thing I put is we all need leaders to oversee us. Where do I get this stuff? Well, the Bible lays out a blueprint. Now, we've got a lot of denominations, guys. There's a lot of ways of doing church. And not every church is going to do it the exact same way, but there are some basic blueprints. If you follow these blueprints, you've got a church. It might look a little different. It might function a little bit differently, 
But these essentials have to be there, I believe. So what I want us to do is we're going to start with that second one, talking about overseers, leaders in the church. And then next week, we're going to talk about the first one, how you need church to be able to plug in with your spiritual gift. Okay? So we're going to start with the second one. Both this week and next week, we're going to be in the same passage, although we'll look at some others. But our main passage is going to be Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you can turn there now, New Testament, right after Galatians, but before Philippians, the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, you can slip your hand up and, and Andy will, will get one to you. Okay? Um, we got a couple here and then one over there. Ephesians chapter 4. And so Paul is talking about this blueprint. Here's what church should look like. Okay, Paul had a lot of influence in this church that was planted in Ephesus. And he's trying to tell them how to do church, how to be um, responsible with what the Lord has given them, how to function as a church, how the Lord is laid out, what does the blueprint look like. And this doesn't say everything we need to know, but this is a core piece. I want to read 16 verses, and then we'll just make some points, okay? okay? Starting in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended to the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so you see his analogy of the body, a body that needs to be built, a body that needs to be put together properly so that the body can grow in love, being built up in love and in unity. Okay, how does this happen? What are the essential components? What does God do so that the church can be that, so that the church can be a body that grows together? Well, we back up and start with verse one and look on down and kind of see the flow of his argument. 
He's saying you guys need to walk manner and worthy. Just coming together in a building doesn't mean you're doing things the right way. Be worthy. Be be together in a way that's worthy of the, the calling that you have received, that you have been called with. He says in verse 4, there's one hope, one faith, one body. So it's not like we're one faith and Living Hope Church is another faith and then Elk Grove Baptist Church is a different faith. We're all one faith and there's a capital capital B body. We're all one body. But then he gets specific, doesn't he? And he says, we all have one faith, one baptism, one one God, one Father, one Spirit. Verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We're going to see next week how those gifts are very specific. The gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom, the gift of prayer, the gift of encouragement, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the gift of healing. Okay, now, gift of healing. Someone would heal someone, lay their hands on someone, that person would be healed. That person can't share that gift with the whole world. That person shares the gift with the person that they go, the people that they go to church with. This book is called Ephesians because it's written to the church in Ephesus. This book isn't written to all the churches. He's trying to encourage them to get involved in a certain way at that church in Ephesus. They didn't have online preachers. They couldn't turn on the TV and call Joel Osteen their pastor. You go to church. You connect with people, and that's how you use your gift. I'm cutting into next week. Then he says, Jesus Christ, he quotes a psalm. Referencing the Lord ascending on high, leading a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. There's a lot to unpack there, but Paul explains it. Jesus descended to earth, the lower regions. He came, right? That's Christmas. He came, he died, rose again, and then he ascended. Remember the disciples like, whoa, whoa, where are you going? And he's like, you all need to do the work now. I'm going somewhere, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to equip you to do what you need to do. And when he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer and brings a gifting. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. If you are a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in you and has given you a gift. Again, we'll unpack that more next week, but suffice it to say, Paul's argument is, as Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men. Then he backs off and says, there's a particular kind of gift he gave to each church. And those gifts are a certain kind of people that he gave to the church. What kind of people did he give to the church? Verse 11. He gave apostles. He gave prophets. He gave evangelists. He gave shepherds. He gave teachers. Now what do these roles all have in common? They're not ushers. They're not welcome team. They're not the prayer coordinators. What do these roles have in common? They teach the word of God. They take, they take the word of God and say, this is how you need to live. They teach it to you. Now, the apostles were special because they wrote scripture. The rest of us have to take what they wrote and believing that God gave that to them, and we teach it, we explain it, we show you how to live it. Okay? Teachers do that. Shepherds do that. Evangelists do that to uh, people who don't know the Lord, typically. But anyone who proclaims the gospel, even in a church setting, they're teaching the gospel, that's an evangelist. That uh, shepherds are pastors. And uh, when you read the Bible, uh, the calling of the shepherd, the calling of the elder is to teach. There's a whole list of prerequisites. They have to be uh, gentle. They can't be argumentative. They can't be violent. They can't be quarrelsome. Their family has to be managed well because how can they manage and lead a church if they can't manage and lead their household? That's another argument that's made. 
But aside from those character qualities, there's only one skill that's required of an elder or a shepherd. Those words are used interchangeably. Every time you read in the Bible and it says bishop, overseer, shepherd, pastor, it's referring to the same office. And that skill is to teach. Not to teach dynamically, like, whoa, that was really entertaining. That was a funny story. No, to be competent to teach right doctrine. To be competent to teach right doctrine. That's the role. Well, why does God give these roles to the church? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, the spiritual gift that God has given you and what God is asking you to do as a church, you need to be equipped in order to do that. And the way God equips you is not your own quiet, private times, your private quiet times in your closet, although that's part of it. But in this verse, what he's saying is, what I've given the church to equip you to do the work are pastors and teachers. That's why pastors and teachers are here. That's why I responded to that Facebook post like, whoa, whoa. How do you follow Christ if Christ said the way I want you to live is to be equipped to do my ministry? And the way I'm going to equip you to do my ministry is to follow these shepherds and teachers that I give to the church. If you detach yourself from that, how can you say Christ is your head? How can you say I follow Christ if you don't follow his blueprint for life? That was my, my point in the Facebook. And then it obviously, and then people weigh in, and it was an interesting discussion. It was cordial, and it was nice. But I just keep coming back to this verse. Each of us who are in Christ are called to do some kind of ministry work. This wasn't just specific to the Ephesians. This is what Christianity is. That's what it's like to build up the body of Christ, to engage in the church. How am I equipped to get involved? How do I use my gift in a way that's appropriate? How, I need to be equipped. I need to be equipped in order to do that. How am I going to get equipped? Well, the Lord has given a gift to the church, and it's the shepherds and teachers. That's, that's what the passage is saying. That's what the passage is getting at. This keeps us from... Getting tossed by doctrine, verse uh, 14, this keeps us from being children, kind of stuck in our growth. Shepherds kind of prod, like, hey, sheep, stop camping out. We're moving. We're moving. Shepherds lead, right? And so they, they, they keep you from being stuck. They keep you from being distracted by other kinds of teachings. And they guide you and build you up into the head who is Christ. Shepherds and teachers are not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. And in the local manifestation, shepherds and teachers, elders lead. And that's how the body grows and builds itself up in love. Um, that verse that says the shepherds and teachers are there to equip the saints. Some churches, when you see how they operate, you would think it's the reverse. That the saints are there to equip the minister to do the work of the ministry. Right? You could probably, there's all of you who have been around in churches, you probably could think of churches where it kind of seems like it's the opposite. It kind of seems like the people come and gather, put money in a plate so that the pastor can full-time do everything. But that, that's not what it says. It says the work of the shepherd is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so what's happened in churches is when we've reversed the model, we've, we've grab God's blueprint and flipped it upside down, right? Because it, there's a directional flow. Christ is the head. He gives shepherds to the church, and the shepherds equip the, the people of the church to do the ministry. 
But if a church flips it and the church is the one that equips the minister so that he can do everything, then something is wrong. And there's two things wrong. One, now the saints aren't doing what they're supposed to do. The saints now are in charge of the shepherds and watching to make sure they do everything right and getting disappointed when they don't do things the way they want it. Second thing wrong is now the shepherd really isn't a shepherd anymore. And that shepherd is failing his calling because he's not leading people. People are leading him. That's the reverse. And I get it, guys. I get it. I get the hesitation. I get the sometimes mistrust that churches can have. And I'm not just talking about, you know, this church or churches we've known, but this is across humanity. This is going to be a reality. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult to place trust in a leader. You all remember when Gordon uh, Zerkowski came out from Five Stone Churches and he opened up John to us and he talked about how Five Stone Churches works. And he's saying Five Stone Churches works. We help leaders lead their churches. But the way we do that is by helping them understand that you gain the trust of people. People place trust in you. Then you can lead them. But if a group of saints doesn't trust the shepherd, if a group of saints doesn't trust the teachers, okay, the prophets, the evangelists, we don't trust them then we can't follow them. And then they're not able to fulfill the calling that God gave them, and then the blueprint gets real fuzzy. The blueprint gets real fuzzy, guys. So any denomination or church out there that has no elders, we don't do elders. We're just all oh, submit to each other. Wrong. Wrong. I, I don't get how they read their Bibles. But I get it. They're kind of anti-authority, aren't they? It's kind of like, I don't want somebody to come and tell me what to do or how to live. What is that? We'll all just keep each other accountable. I'm glad you found a new way to do church. I'll just stick with the Bible, thank you very much. Right? <laughs> as it's laid out, elders are all over the place. In Acts, as they plant churches, Paul is appointing elders. He tells Timothy, he tells Titus, I want you to point elders there. And elders are always plural. So it's never just one guy taking over a whole region. There's a plurality of leadership. So over the past few years, uh, Bill and, and Andy and myself, we've met together and have really tried to study, what, what is an elder? And um, I wanted us to move away from one guy's the pastor who's paid and he's got all the mojo. And then you got a couple guys on board that are just there to just make sure he's, you know, not going crazy. Peeking the parsonage once in a while, just make sure he's not partying or something. I mean, you know, just let's just check his budget and let's just kind of see what car he's driving and let's just check him. We need a couple guys to meet with him and just make sure he's not going crazy. And as we were going through these verses, it would, it re we realized, like, wait a minute, that's, that's not true. The Bible doesn't talk about pastors like senior pastor. The word senior pastor is not even in the Bible. A pastor, capital P, and then elders with a small e. There's only elders. Now, some of them preach more than others. It says uh, elders should be worthy of, of honor, and the ones especially who teach and preach and labor in that should be worthy of double honor. Okay, uh, I went to seminary. I'm trained in a different way than the elders here, the lay elders. Um, because of the financial setup that we have, I don't have to go deliver boxes at UPS and then come home and change out of my brown shorts <laughs> and then prepare a sermon. No, I get to focus on it more than the other guys do. But, but it's not me up here and then little elderlings down here. It's elders. And so behind the scenes of the past three years, I've been flattening out a little bit the elder board at Christian Fellowship Church. And I'm trying to encourage them. You guys are elders. You guys are 
shepherds. You're not just here. I say, hey, guys, I want to do this. And you either do this or do that. That's, that's not what you're here for. You're an elder. You're an elder. And they're meek and humble, you know, so they're like, you know, they don't want to, you know, but I'm trying to encourage them. This is a calling. This is a role. This is an office. You're a teacher. You're a shepherd. You're an overseer. And so we're working on that more. Um, as a church, we're reassessing how we function as a church. How well do we match what Paul is saying here? And um, a- as we move toward this a little bit more, I'm beginning to realize that um, it's easy to, um, to mistrust the pattern, to, to not really trust the pattern fully, to have hesitations, questions. And I think that's resolved when we understand the biblical teaching about leadership in the church. So what I'd like to do is go through three verses real quick that kind of shape and sharpen our understanding of, of elders. And many of us here probably already get this. Some of us maybe we've not visited in a long time. But I want us to turn to a couple of passages I think will help us. The first thing we need to understand about elders, the reason why they're there is to equip the saints. Without them, we're not equipped. That we just saw. Second, elders are there for protection and oversight. If you're a Christian, you need protection and oversight because God says so. That's how God set it up. How does he provide for that? With elders. I want you to turn to the book of Acts. It's right after the Gospels. So when you go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's the first four, that's the Gospels. And then Acts is right after that. Um, We do have it here if... um, if you're not turned to it yet, Acts chapter 20, and then we're going to look at 28 to 30. Here's what he says. Now, this is Paul talking to the Ephesian elders before Paul gets hauled off to go get killed. He, he gathers the Ephesian elders, and he's telling the elders of this church. We're, just, we're looking at the book of Ephesians, right? That church in Ephesus, this is his sort of seminar that he gives to those elders. Here's his command. Here's what he tells the elders to do. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I want you to oversee. The Holy Spirit has made you an overseer of not a building, not a constitution. Those are parts of what church life can look like. But over the flock, over the people, to care for the church of God. Again, to care for the people of the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. They're precious to the Lord, and the Lord entrusts them to shepherds. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among you your own will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So, First, he's saying, you guys need to oversee the flock, look after them, watch over them. And then he says, part of that is to protect them from wolves. Okay, now, now some of you, you know, will tell me, oh, I was watching this thing on TV. And I'm like, uh, don't watch that guy. Am I just being a punk? Like, oh, watching him? You should just download my sermons, you know? <laughs> How come I'm not on TV? No, I just don't want you hanging out with wolves. And there's a lot of them out there. They open the Bible, they say a verse, and they put it down, and then the rest of it is garbage. I want to I protect you from that. That's part of the role of an elder. That's part of the role of 
the shepherd. Not only for oversight and protection, but the next verse, you don't have to turn there, we'll put it up here for you, but um, elders are examples to follow. Elders are supposed to be people you can look up to. Shepherds are supposed to be people you go, you know what? He's not perfect, but I can follow that guy. That's 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's the command. Shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. You guys don't want a pastor that's like, oh, I got I to gotta preach this sermon. It's like, oh, I got to go hang out with these people. Or, I got to talk to small group leaders. Like, how come they can't figure it out, you know? You don't want that guy. You want somebody who's like, you want to meet? You want to talk? Let's go. You have a Bible question? Let's talk about it. Because he's not doing it under compulsion. He's doing it eagerly. And he's not doing it for shameful gain. He's not doing it for shameful gain. Um, you don't want a pastor that is doing it for clout. You don't want a pastor who's just trying to constantly promote himself. And so this is a difficult balance. You know, when we first redid our website, people kept telling me, there's no picture of the pastor. And I'm like, yeah, so what? No, there's no picture of the pastor. Then it dawned on me, every time I click on a church, that's one of the first things I look for. Who is this guy? And so I realized, ah, I got to put my mug on there, you know? And so I put all of us on there. And I put Andy... Bill, and then me in the bottom. You had a scroll to get to me. I just, I just don't want to be, you know, the guy. <laughs> With a big billboard over, over Teddy's diner, you know. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that. And I, I think one of the elders went in there and like, this doofus, and they reversed it and put me, put me so you see me there first. That's a, that's a difficult thing. It's kind of scary because a pastor can very much kind of be launched into a sort of celebrity status. You stop caring about people and only care about your image. That's bad. That's bad. But the remedy is not to just chop the guy off at the knees and put him down in the basement mopping while everybody else, you know what I'm saying? It's not to reverse the blueprint. It's to make sure that when we recognize that someone is called, they're this kind of guy. Someone who desires to shepherd, to oversee, someone who's not after selfish gain, as God would have him do. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not someone who walks around with a title. I've met pastors where I say, hi, I'm Lucas. And they're like, oh, I'm Pastor Steve. And I'm like, oh, great, Pastor Steve. You know, give me a break. <laughs> I'm Dr. So-and-so. Okay, you know. Like, we should just wear our degrees on our thing. And, you know, like, we should have tassels and they're thicker and more beautiful the more degrees you get. Come on. You know, um, no, we want we want pastors that aren't into domination, but they are into leading. They lead by example, but they do lead. OK, that's the kind of pastor that a church needs. That's the kind of pastor that God calls. Finally, if we're going to accept this kind of pattern, if we're going to be OK, this is the pattern God set. There's leaders, there's elders. We need to follow them. OK. If that's the case, we need to let them lead. We need to let them, let them do their thing. So the final verse I want to look at is Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. 
And then that will be verse 17. You have it right there on the screen, or you can turn to it. Strong language. I'm glad it says it, so I don't have to say it, but this is what it says. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, this is in the church context. Uh, that's clear in verse 7. The leaders who spoke the word of God to you. So he's not talking about mayors and governors. He's not talking about politicians or teachers at school, <clears throat> principals or, or police officers or firemen. He's talking about the people who spoke the word of God to you in, within church life, your leaders, your shepherds, your pastors. Obey them and submit to them. Why? He gives a reason. There's a reason why. Because they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So these are guys that are responsible to God. If they drop the ball, they're responsible to God for dropping the ball concerning you. And that's kind of scary. I'd rather be ultimately accountable to just like a board of guys or, and ladies or whatever, you know. But God Almighty, when he goes with his white glove over my ministry, is he going to see specks? Yeah, man. <laughs> you know, because nobody's perfect. But, but an elder and a pastor has to continue to try to attain this, this ministry where I am accountable for you. And when I stand before God, I'm not just standing like, hey, it's me and my kids and my wife. It's me. And here's Christian Fellowship Church. You know, there's, there's John. And when we sat and talked about those verses and, and, there's, and there's the Wagners and they were here. And then after a while of being a Christian Fellowship Church, they're over here. And, and I can turn and look at the people that are a Christian Fellowship Church and with tears welling up my eyes. Look, they were here and now they're here. And by your grace, we led and we pushed and we made a difference. I'm accountable for that. The elders are accountable for that. That's a scary thing. You need a pastor who knows that, understands that. If you have a pastor that's like that, if you have a pastor who's, uh, who's call of God, then the response is to obey them and submit to them. The second half of this verse says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would just be of no advantage to you. It would be no help for you to constantly bombard the pastor with emails and letters about how bad everything is. It would be no advantage to you to constantly pull a pastor aside and just, this failed and this didn't work and I'm sad about this. How come the chairs are crooked and how come? It would be no advantage to you to constantly weigh down the pastor with things when he's trying to lead you. It just would be of no advantage to you. It wouldn't get us anywhere to do that. That doesn't say complaints can't ever be arised. It doesn't say you can never question your leaders. In fact, I encourage questions because questions unasked lead to grumbling, right? If you have a question like, how, how come we, we did chair? How come there's space this way? How come we do baskets and we don't do offering bags? I grew up in a church that did offering bags, and they were, they, were, they made like, like, you know, velvet or something, and it's just rich, I don't know, whatever. You just make up whatever and just, but you don't ask, and then it just kind of festers in your mind, and then you, then you shared it with a friend, and then you, you and your friend shared it small group, and it'd be, yeah, how come he's doing that? How can, and it becomes grumbling. But if you take it to the leadership and say, hey, how can we do that? And we go, oh, because A, B, and C. Oh, because verse this says that. Oh, oh, I get it. I can follow that. So questions are good. Questions put things on the table. It keeps us transparent, keeps us honest, keeps leaders on their toes. I can't just do anything, and no one's going to ask questions. I have to really think about what we're doing, uh, because I'm not leading actual sheep. You all are people with brains and minds, and the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, and you're all priests. But then with the verse, obey your leaders and submit to them. 
I think that's a difficult one for us. Hey, we're, we're red-blooded Americans. We, I mean, we took this country over. The people that were here, we kicked them out or stuck them in a reservation. Anybody who's tried to step on our toes, we took them out. World War II was dragging, dragging, till we got in there. I mean, you know, you know how we're just very independent. We rebel. We, you know, we're just, we're just very, you know, we, we put our politicians through the, the meat grinder. And, and then we read a verse, go to a little local church, and that guy that stands up there with the Bible in his hand, obey that guy. He might be half your age. You could be his dad. Obey that guy. He comes in, he's got some newfangled ideas. You know, him and the elders got together and they want to do some new things, but that's not how we've done things. Obey that guy. It should be a joy to obey that, obey that, that shepherd. And if it isn't, that's a problem. That those are things that need to be worked out. Um, I'll close with this. Um, some time ago, actually, we'll, we'll need a couple extra minutes, but I really want to drive this point home. Years ago, there was someone in our fellowship uh, who was upset with me, uh, called me, said, hey, uh, I don't like how you're doing things here. Um, we like to do things this way, and you're saying do things that way. I said, right. Um, that's what I think we should do. Well, listen, you're a good preacher. I really enjoy your analogies, but you're not listening to us. I said, hey, remember I sat with you and I brought a blank legal pad with a pen and I asked you, tell me why you want to do things that way. And I didn't come with an agenda. I just wanted you to tell me why. And there was no why. The only why was because you want to do it that way. But then when you asked me, I went to the Bible and I had six different verses Six different points, six different passages that point us to why I think this is going to be healthy for the church. Well, you're not listening. And so that, that's interesting. When I ask you, you're not giving me anything. But when you ask me, I'm saying something. Who's not listening? And then I said, I don't know how many pastors would go this length, but I did. And I said, listen, you, you need to make a decision. Am I going to be the guy that makes sure things are in place, that the offering envelopes aren't too crooked, you know? Am I going to be the guy that makes sure there's enough juice in the little cute plastic cups and make sure the matzo crackers are broken into bite-sized pieces so we don't choke? And then I preach a nice cuddly sermon with cute analogies that make you smile and go home driving going, that's a nice analogy. I think I'll use that at work tomorrow. Am I that or am I your leader? Does my voice only count when I stand up here and we do the charade? Or if I meet you at a diner and you're kind of getting cutesy with someone who's not your spouse and I go and I say, hey, nice to meet you, nice to meet you. Can I talk to you for a second? Stop that. Am I that guy? Or am I just an opinion giver that just kind of does cute sermons up here? Well, that person, when they hung up the phone, took their key. Back then, everybody had a key. Hey, welcome to Christian Fellowship Church. Here's your bulletin and your key. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but left the key on my desk. I emailed her. Hey, can we talk about this? No, no, I'm done. Okay. 
Now that person goes to a church that doesn't vote at all. <laughs> goes to a church where this person knows nobody. I know this church. So this is why it says it's, it's no advantage to you. It's of no advantage to you. If you come to a church and you say, you know what? I want you to preach. I want you to be nice. But I don't want you to tell me how to live life. Once you tell me how to live life, I'll go to another church. Well, what are you going to find at the other church? Hopefully someone who's a shepherd, who's preaching the word of God, and eventually you have to stop bouncing from church to church and find a place where you say, okay, I can trust this guy. I can trust these guys. I can follow them. On January 20th, we're going to have a real important vote. Um, and that vote has a lot to do, has everything to do with the Constitution. It has a lot to do with what we're speaking about here. Because one of the primary issues is the voting issue. And guys, if you look at Ephesians 4 um, that, that we just looked at, you remember that part where it says in verse 3, maintaining the unity? Voting is divisive. You know, every time we have a vote, we're splitting the congregation. This side wants this, and this side wants that. Let's do another vote. That side wants that, and this side wants this. And besides, if we voted on everything, not, not that we've voted on everything in the past, but I think we voted a little too much. If we did that, why not have a junior hire come be the pastor? Who, who hasn't gone to seminary, who hasn't, you know, just all he has to do is collect ballots. Anybody who can collect ballots can pastor the church because we're just going to vote on everything. Let's vote on what next week's sermon is going to be on. Let's vote on the color of the chairs. Let's vote on whether we should have landscaping. You, you see how, it can, and I know I've heard feedback from some of you, see how it can get a little bit ridiculous. So we want to pull it back. The elders and I have met with Gordon and I've talked with numerous pastors of different denominations trying to get a good sense of where's a good middle ground. Because if you go all the way to the other side, the pastor does anything he wants and there's no check and balances, that's dangerous. And I don't want that for myself. So we've decided on six areas that we'll take to the congregation for affirmation. We kind of don't want to use the vote language. It just sounds so not what we're looking at when we see the Bible. But an affirmation, like, yes, the Lord is leading these guys. This is clearly, we see this. And there's six big areas that we'll vote on. That way it's defined. We come together in our members' meetings, and we don't have to bicker about landscaping. We don't have to argue about did we get that printer approved or whatever it is. Um, we can say, okay, outside of these six areas, we're going to trust the leaders to shepherd. And when I do that, I can now focus on my role which is engaging in the church in my spiritual gift, which we'll talk about next week, okay? I want to ask the worship team to come forward. And this is just one of those, um, <laughs> this is just one of those messages that um, you don't have kind of like a flowery take-home application, you know, like, oh, let's, let's, go to, uh, let's go home and immediately implement this in our marriage. Maybe it's not that kind of application, but as a church, we want to get better. And I encourage you to look at the Constitution. Look at them. The Constitution isn't the Bible. But we just want it to reflect the Bible as best as we can. We want to give the leaders leadership. And then we want to follow that as best as we can. Okay? We all love you. I love you guys. And if this was just too difficult and just ridiculous, you know, I wouldn't be here. But I'm here because I believe the Lord wants us to get better. Um, but let's close in a worship, focusing on the head of our body, who's Jesus Christ, proclaiming him as son of God, and we'll end with a, a note of uh, united worship. Amen? Okay, let's, let's stand and worship together.